we're going to move into the Gospel of John. This great, this is the, the Gospel lesson for, for Christmas Day itself. And, it's, uh, and, and the lesson seems so deceptively simple, but it's yet it's so very profound. Are there any questions before we go on about the Luke 2 Christmas account that I went over last week? I know every week there's so much I could say, and you might have some questions, so, so you're, you're more than welcome to asking questions about the, the longest and most complete Christmas account, probably the one that we're all familiar with from Luke chapter 2. No questions? Okay. So, today we're not as going to go over this whole big chapter like we've been going through. Rather, what we're going to focus on is this prologue to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, 1 through, through 18. Now, John is very helpful because John states in John chapter 20 why he writes his Gospel. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So as you read every word in the Gospel of John, John, by revelation of the Holy Spirit, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is speaking so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, okay, that is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Yes, go ahead, Keith. Don't you think you should Yeah, there's many other signs written in this book. And so, so yeah, there's so many other things that, that John, especially, you know, if you look at it, if you think about the ministry of Jesus, and by the way, the Gospel of John is the Gospel where we get a three-year ministry of Jesus. If you didn't have the Gospel of John, you could conceivably fit all the events of Matthew, Mark, or Luke, whichever synoptic Gospel you took, fit them within a, one calendar year. Okay, but John is the one, because you have multiple Passovers, we know it's a three-year ministry of Jesus. And, and over three years, how much could you record? A lot. A lot, yeah. I mean, I mean, have you ever been, um, go to the history section of a major library and see how many books are written about World War II? Oh my and, and there's so, so many of that. It's the American Revolution. I mean, you could write, you know, all, all these all these things, or like uh, David McCullough wrote, wrote this big, massive volume, it's a fascinating book called 1776, just on that one year in the American Revolution. And so uh, he could write a lot. And so, so John could have talked about, you know, uh, what they cook for breakfast, how tall is Jesus? You know, I mean, you know, all these things. We, we don't know hardly anything about Jesus, um, you know, day to day. But John especially, and, and John, John records vignettes of Jesus. That's one of the uniqueness. And so it's a, of, of, of Jesus with mainly with individuals. And so it's a whole other thing about the gospel of John. Um, but all that he writes so that we might believe that Jesus is Christ and as Messiah, the son, the son of God, that by believing he might have life in his name. So John is this uh, in, introduction, this prologue. And um, and it's more than I'm going to read my, my paragraph that I spent some time trying to uh, write for you, so I'll, I'll just read it word for word. John's prologue is more than an introduction. It's the foundation for the Gospel of John. It gives insight into the entire Gospel. The prologue sets the cosmic stage upon which Jesus performs his ministry. More than the backdrop of the Roman Empire, a seemingly large stage, the Gospel of John places the person and work of Jesus Christ as the center of the whole of creation and the whole of life. It's a grand overture to open up to us the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
The language seems so simple, but the prologue is actually as deep as you can get theologically. Then anyway, when I say it, the tragedy of the modern church is that so many Christians are biblically illiterate. They do not treasure God's word in texts like the marvelous prologue of, of John. Okay, and, and, and one thing that occurs to me is this prologue of John is always read on Christmas Day. Let's compare what is the worship attendance now in 2022 on Christmas Day versus Christmas Eve. It's a lot less. So, so many Christians do not regularly hear one of the, the key texts in all of Scripture, the prologue to the Gospel of John. It also um, helps, as I was thinking about this past week, um, that there are many other texts that are so important for the day-to-day life of the Christian, but Christians are not laying hold of God's Word. And so, oftentimes, the, it just slips on by. So, so let's go into the Gospel of of John, um, and so there's a, um, and so I have this broad outline, okay, the, the, it's the first five verses, which are poetic, and the word of, the word as God and light, and of course it's also life, but I, I just try to make it kind of pithy right here, then 6 to 13, the light proclaimed and received, and the word incarnate as the revealer of God, so, so those are kind of, um, um, Little, little titles that I, I put there. Somebody else could have given you better titles than that. So before we begin, any questions or comments about this prologue? Yes, go ahead, Ina. Yes. I just wanted to mention, uh, when you mentioned we're all so biblically illiterate, mm-hmm. that um, we've started this ladies' Bible reading time <coughs> Tuesdays from 1 to 3 in the afternoon, and it's going to continue in the new year. And so if anybody's interested, please see me. And we're actually, we just almost finished the Gospel of John, and we're going to read the last three chapters this coming Tuesday at 1 o'clock. So um, just basically reading and becoming familiar. It's not, not a Bible teaching class. It's a reading. Okay. Tuesday Okay, so on your next page, I kind of broke up these first five verses so that you could maybe see it a little bit better, what's going on in the first five verses. Um, John is, is Jewish, okay? And so, so if you understand that, that his first language would have been probably either Arama- Aramaic, which is a close cousin of Hebrew, so he probably also would have known Hebrew also, but, but basically it's Hebrew way of, of thinking and, and writing. It's very helpful to do it this, this way. So, so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, so, so this is written in, in um, it's in Greek, but, but as the background of Hebrew poetry. And so with Hebrew poetry, you, you, you have is widely known for parallelism. In other words, you say something, and then, and then your next line either repeats it in a different form, builds upon it, um, but, but it's, it's reflected. So this is kind of a, it's, it's very terse style, but yet, as we see right here, it's a lot of, lot of depth. Okay, any questions about this before I begin? If I get um, a little bit, you know, off track or, or, or 
or not explaining myself very well, then, then bring me back to, to earth right here, because this is a very profound text. So, so in the beginning was the, was the word. So obviously by saying in the beginning, what is it harkening back to? Creation, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Now that, that word, I think I do comment, is about, about beginning. It's more, you, should, you need to see it as more than temporal, right? It is also the Greek word for, for foundation, um, a primacy, and, and so, so, so this is, you know, so the very foundation, the primary, and, as well as temporal um, source of everything is the word. Okay, so, so what John is doing right here is indicating that, that there is this necessity for a new creation. The, the creator of the first is also going to be the creator of the new creation. And it's the word. Now, now the word right here um, is, is very important to, to see this. In, John, in Genesis 1-3, you say, and God said, let there be light. And so God's speaking brings about things. Now, what we're going to have right here is the mystery of the Trinity, because we have the Father and the Son. We know that the Father and the Son are not the same, but yet there's only one God. And so, and so we have this interplay right, right here of the Son and the Father in this, in this first verse. But, but why word? Now, one, thing, one problem we have with this is that we tend to think in terms of nouns. English often think at times, we, we have this, uh, um, I think our, our basic linguistic concept is in terms of nouns and things, right? Is this, do, do you understand what I mean? Hebrew is very much, the, the center of the Hebrew language is always on verbs. So nouns are, are, are taken from, from a verb, right? Okay, so, so, so which means that, that we're not supposed to think of God as being, as just being kind of an it. But God is an act of God. God is an act of God who, who speaks. And so, so the word is, is, is God in his action, okay? And, it's the, and we know it's the son also, but, but there's this, I, I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but, it, but it's not to be seen as, a, as like a word on a page, but a word that is spoken. If you look, for example, um, Hebrews 4.12, the, the word of God is living and active, right? Okay. Quite often in the prophets of the Old Testament, you'll see this. The word of the Lord came upon, and then you have the, uh, the prophet, right? The word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came. So, so the word is, is, is active, and, and so, so we hear in the beginning was the word. Don't think about something printed on a page that is, that is exactly static. Our Lord cannot be static because he's a creating God and a loving God and a gracious God. He does not exist for the sake of um, just for the sake of being, our Lord exists to be good and gracious for you and me. And we're going to see this in the Gospel of John. Go ahead, Keith. Uh, this might be a dumb question. There's no dumb questions. Where is referring to Christ before he was made flesh and came down? The word because he was yeah. always... Yeah, so... so, so it, he spoke the word. He spoke his saving grace. Yes. Yeah, so he... he yeah, yeah. So, so in Genesis one, you have this. You got the Spirit hovering over the deep. So, so if you want to go back and find the Trinity, you know, you look at Genesis one through three. You have, you know, in, in the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth, and so, and so that's a whole. I, it's, the amount of ink that's been spilled on that very first bit of sheath. What does it mean to be in the beginning of Genesis one one? But you see God, and so you see, we 
we see the Father, but also we see the Spirit hovering over the face of the deep, and we see God said. And so what, what John is doing is indicating that there's the Son right there at creation, and, and apart from him, nothing's come into being that has come into being, right? And so, so it's indicating that, that the deity and the activity of the Son, but also in these verses, the relation of the Son to the Father. And so what I did in my parentheses right, right here is, is indicate that, so, and the Word was with God, and I'll talk about that in a second, and God was the Word, and so, so if, you, if you look in, um, in the Greek, in your, your English Bible, and it says, and the Word was God. It's actually, the Greek was, God was the Word, okay? And maybe you're aware of this or not, but if you ever talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll, they'll say that there's no definite article right here. Precisely, precisely, it's called a predicate, predicate nominative, and you would not expect it. So it's, in, in Greek, it's called Colwell, C-O-L-W-E-L-L, Colwell's rule. And so you would have a, no article right here. In fact, if you did, then you would have a confusion of the son with the father, right? And so, and so this is indicating that the son is true God, but he's not the father. Right? Remember, like the, the Athanasian Creed, the Father's not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Father's not the Spirit, the Spirit's not the... You remember all these expressions? So, so you want no article right here, and this follows a Greek rule, you know, it's called Colwell's rule, where predicate nominative is, is definite. It's a definite article, but you, but you would not have the, the definite article right there because it's a predicate. It's in the predicate, and it... Okay, so, so this is... So, 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 and so if you ever talk to Jehovah's Witness, they'll, they'll go on and on. So one time they called me, and this is Sunday after church. I don't know how they got my cell phone number. So, no, they called me at home. My, my, no, no, not my cell phone. They called me at home. They called me at home, and he was wanting to, you know, and I, and I just, you know, for 40 minutes, I'm trying to tell this guy, no, Jesus is God. And then after a while, he says, I got to go. I'm hungry. Bye. You know, so, it's just, okay, so any other questions that, Yes, Dave, yes. Yeah. Right, right. Now, <laughs> yeah. Um, yes and no. I mean, because this is talking about the physical light being created. But the verse right here is the light of, of truth, of, of God being good and gracious, and, and as opposed to the darkness, which we will not receive it. So it's far more than this. This is light and salvation in, 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 in here. This is far more than physical light, though. You know, so, and we should not equate the eternal Son with, with, with the created light, but rather he's, he's the author of life. He's the creator of light itself, and he's life, life himself. Um, okay, now, now this, this expression, and the word was with God, is actually weaker than the Greek. It's that the, you, you, if you just want to have, like, like, I'm with somebody, you would have used just like, like he's right behind me. But, but rather, the, the word was orientated towards God. So in other words, the Son is orientated to the Father. Throughout the Gospel of John, you constantly see this. You know, show us the Father. When you see me, you see the Father, right? That which the Father has, I give unto you. That which the Father speaks, I speak. So you see, in the Gospel of John, the revelation of the Father is through the Son. 
And so this even indicating the close relationship of father and son is very much indicated right here in Genesis, uh, not Genesis, but in John 1, um, verse, verse 1. Okay, so he was in the, in the beginning with God, with God. Now, do not, again, think in terms of just temporal, because God exists outside of what we saw time. So, so beginning right here is, is more in terms of foundation and primacy um, and, and moving forward, okay? So all things were made through him. Without him was not anything that was made. Okay, now, though, so what is this talking about? It can be talking about the created order, the created world, right? Parallel in Genesis. But it could be also, since this is a Jewish audience, primarily Jewish Christians, so that they would know that they, indeed they have the true Messiah, right? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, so it's very important for a Jew that they have the right Messiah, right? And the word Messiah and Christ being the same word. One's Greek, Christ. Messiah is a Hebrew word. So for a Jew, you need the right Messiah. And, and not only this, but you need to understand that the Messiah promised is also God's son. And so this is very important to have both these things. So, so John's gospel would be orientated towards, towards, towards Jews. And so, and so you could also read this in terms of all of God's covenant history with his people happened through him. In other words, his whole plan leading up to now happens because of the word and the action of the word. And it's always the word right there. Hence, you have, for example, now this is a different story. It's not directly alluded to in this opening. But when Abraham has three visitors, what does he address? God, right? We, we believe this pre-existent Christ. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when the king looks, what is he seeing? He sees four, right? He sees four. And, and who is this? This is, again, the pre-existent, um, um, the, the pre-incarnational Christ right there. Okay, so, so to see Christ throughout the whole of the Old Testament is so absolutely essential you, to, to read Christ in, into this. Okay. So in him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines the darkness. The darkness has over, not overcome it. Um, so, so, um, so we also remember not only Genesis 1, but also Isaiah chapter 9. Well, he, we hear Isaiah chapter 9 at Christmas, right? In Isaiah chapter 9, you hear these words. Okay. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Right? And so the darkness is, is also opposed to God. And so we'll see that a little bit, little bit later on also. Now, now one thing to, to bear in mind also as you hear about in the beginning was the word. Why does John choose this, this word? Obviously it's because of Genesis 1-3, but also um, it reflects the word of God which is, which is, which is powerful. And and if you're Hebrew, you're Jew, you think in terms of what? Torah, right? God's revelation of himself given to his people. Okay, quite often your English Bibles translate it for, for um, Torah as what? Law, right? You think in terms of law versus gospel. Mm -mm, no. Torah is, is all of God's revelation of himself given, primarily given to Moses, those first five books, which also includes promise, right? And also God's action. So Torah is, is God's revelation of himself. And the best revelation of God, of course, is the, the, the son who will, who, as we know, is in the flesh, 
saving us from our sins. Does this make sense to you? And so, so for example, um, think about this. Psalm 119. What thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And I think this is very much uh, uh, reflected in, in, in this passage right, right here. Okay, this is Hebrew poetry. Now we're going to switch to Hebrew prose. Are there any more questions about the first five verses? I, I, I probably could go the rest of the session. There's, there's a lot here. Yes, go ahead. Yes, yes. You have to remember whoever edits this just doesn't. The, 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 who, whoever the editor of this is, is just didn't do the thing. He doesn't do his job very well, you know. It's my, me. Thank you very much. So, do, okay, his question is, look at this. So under, it says, with God, the, the, I have my little parentheses. The Greek is more, the word was towards God, indicating the son, constant turning to the son. No, it should be to the father, to the father. Whoever types this up, just fire the guy, you know, so... Uh, no, 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 please don't. So, okay, so it's a, uh, well, yeah, but they're not the same. They're, 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 they're distinct persons within the Holy Trinity, okay? And so, so this is a, mar uh, by the way, this is a marvelous text about the Trinity right here, the relationship of Father and the Son, and, and obviously we, we're in the very depths of the relationship of the Father to the Son right, right here, and, um, and it's a marvelous text. So, now, it's, it's kind of interesting because the, the, the text now switches in 6 to 13 to a prose style, to a prose style. And, and so this is a, a indicating not a, an absolute inferiority of the next text, but just indicating how that, that, this, that this true existence of the Father and the Son, and that the, and then the Son, the Creator, and, and He is the light and the life, is, is so preeminent, this is the beginning, so, so you, you, it's, a, it's an elevated plane that we're starting on. Now we're going to talk about, about what happens within, within our era right now when you get to um, verse 6. There's a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was come into the world. He was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Okay, so any questions or comments, something that stands out that you have a question about what's going on right here? Okay, so, so obviously now we're introducing the person and the, and the work of John the Baptist, but seeing it on, on this higher cosmic scale. And, and so this, this really takes us to the entirety of, of all the creation, all the world, and really beyond that with God and uh, God the Father and God the Son, and, and seeing them as, as active and gracious and giving, and he's the life and um, the life of men. And so now um, there's a man sent from God whose name was John. And, and there's, there's so much right there. So the, here are the contrast right here. Remember what we've been talking about verses one through five. 
God, right? Now there is a man sent, a man, Anthropos, right here, who sent. And the word sent right here is a, is a um, very much in, in the line of, of, um, of the Old Testament prophets. But then further on, later on, um, Jesus was sent out. And it's, and, and it's kind of interesting. The 12 disciples become the 12 what? Apostles. The apostles are those who are sent, sent out. And then to them, we add the apostle Paul. In today's epistle lesson, you have Paul claiming his authority as an apostle, one who is sent out but commissioned to be sent out. And so, and so if you notice right here, John is, is sent out uh, from God. So the Father is sending John to bear witness about the light, and we know that that's the Son, that all might believe through him. So already right here, um, you've assumed the incarnation right here, because you, you cannot think about Jesus being the light of the world without him being incarnate to save the world. This is not some, some fuzzy, um, and by the way, it's just, it's just you'll hear a, that, this is not some fuzzy philosophical speculation right here about light and stuff of this, like new age stuff, right? I mean, you, you see this text, and some people have tried to put this in the, in the context of Greek philosophy, and it fails utterly. You know, this is a very much a Hebrew thought right here. Uh, John is thoroughly steeped in the section in the Old Testament, and, and this is not based on Greek, you know, Platonism or anything like this. It, it's, it's very much set from the Old Testament, God's promises, God being active, and, and hence, for example, that passage is, I just read to you from Isaiah chapter 9 as well as Genesis chapter 1. Okay, um, so, so notice why does John witness? That all might believe through him. So again, going back to the purpose of the Gospel of John, John's witness that all might believe. So God, John came proclaiming and we, we hear this especially in the other Gospels, and he preaches repentance, and he also has a baptism for what? Repentance, forgiveness of sins. Okay, now that, 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 that terminology is not directly in the Gospel of John, but we know John's ministry is, is, this, is this, so they would believe in the Christ, the, the, the one who's coming after him. But he, he was not the light, but came to bear witness. The true light, of course, this is Christ, the Christ incarnate, which enlightens everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So in the Gospel of John, typically, world is also as carries um, connotations of opposition. So, so the world is, is God's creation. However, how does the world now react to the Creator? It opposes God, right? And, and, and we see this. And so, so hence you get to John 3, 16. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so so world is in opposition to the creator himself. And so this, is, this illustrates how deep sin is, that, that you're opposing your own creator. This is so, how nonsensical sin is, and I'm chief of sinners. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Yes, John, go ahead. Question. Yeah, yeah. I, I think already right, right here because, because he comes that all might believe 
through him. Okay, so, so this word, we already, and, and then uh, uh, later on in John chapter 1, John 1, 21, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we already have, and so, and I think by John places this on a cosmic scale, we already indicate that this word is for the entire world. Yes, this is a Hebrew Messiah, true, but he's always the Messiah, the true Christ, for all people so that all might believe in, in him. Yeah. Right, right, exactly, exactly, exactly. And this is why, for example, the most Jewish of the Gospels would be, say, the Gospel of Matthew. And, and, and Matthew, what is Christ's words, the ascended Christ's words, in Matthew 28, 16 is one, make disciples of all nations. The word right there is ethne, is, is, is all, all ethnicities, you know, because the concept of nation really is a kind of a foreign, our concept of borders, a set government, some of this, I, the Bible doesn't know, know that at all. I mean, we, we should never think that, that, that way. All nations, be all ethne, all peoples, you know. So, so every little tribe needs to be made disciples. How? By baptism and, and, and teaching them to, to hold and to treasure all that I've given you. And so, so that's the most, and of course, Matthew is the, is the one that has the Magi coming to worship Jesus. So this most Jewish of Gospels, you have Magi coming to worship him in Matthew chapter 2. Okay, and so um, I do want to get to the word become flesh, right? So, um, so, so I do want to, let's just go to the bottom of this page. And so you, you see this, and um, so this whole prologue, you know, that. Uh, a guy, a, a scholar named, uh, other people have looked at this, but, but I'm following a, a, a scholar named uh, Alan Culpepper. And, and so he looks at so chiasm, and so chiasm and is, this, is this tool, and especially in ancient literature, so, so literature, so you say A, B, C, D. Then you come back to C, back to B, back to A. So that way the, the focus, the, the key line is D. Does this make sense to you? And so you kind of repeat back and forth. And so you can see this, because you see John at the beginning, and then you see John towards the end of the section, and, and so like this. So Culpepper, I think, has, has made a, um, you know, it's very helpful to see, see that in the center then is he gave them the authority. Notice I'm going to, I use that word because it's probably a better word than the right um, um, to become children of God. We, we speak, see, that word right has been kind of ripped from a, uh, um, all sorts of meaning in, in our Western culture, because everyone talks about my rights, my rights, my rights. So, so right here, we have authority. And so now we can speak on the basis of, of believing in this incarnate word, Jesus Christ. We have the authority to become children of God. In other words, legal children. So this goes back into, a, a, for example, you see this theology in, in Galatians chapter uh, 4. Where, where we have become adopted so that we now have the authority of sons. Okay, and so, and so now, now, to those who believe, we have the authority to become children of God. And so this is the privileged position that we now have, and of course it's in our baptism. In this John chapter 3, you must be born of water and the Spirit. And so, and so this is so treasured. And if you take nothing from this, that you have now the authority given to you by the Lord himself, by God, the creator of all things, that you can now claim a place as a child of God, and you have that right, you have that authority 
and it's just not something ephemeral. Does this make sense? And so, so this, is, this is so beautiful. Yes, go ahead, Ina. Yeah. 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 And so, and we also, and you see, you see this quite often. I mean, I love it. You know, um, Luther's sermons and Luther's writings that that he he comes to to, to God in in prayer, and and because he has his right to speak to God, he's sometimes very forceful in his prayers. You know, I now come to you because you have said this to me that I am your child. So therefore, Heavenly Father, you must listen to me. And then it goes on. So, so you, have that, you have that right, that authority given to you as God's child. Okay, so let's, uh, um, oh, maybe I should go talk about the word becoming flesh. How's that sound? Okay, um, John 1, 14 to 18. And again, this is, this is more, more like Hebrew poetry right here. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this, is he, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. From his fullness we, all, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. What a verse. Uh, this, this, but John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So you see what's going on here is that, is that the word became flesh and then dwelt among us, and, so, and now you take the, the us, and we have seen his glory, then you take glory, and then glory is the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he's got this, this stair-step parallelism. Do you see that right, right there? And this is kind of one, one aspect you can see in Hebrew poetry. So, so God takes upon himself, so God the Son, the Word, takes upon himself human nature without giving up his deity. Okay, so this is extremely important. He does not um, empty himself so that he's no longer divine. So, so for example, Jesus speaks by his own authority. And, and so uniquely in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, Jesus in the Gospel of John speaks about raising himself from the dead. I know of no other reference in the other, uh, other Gospels, and, and I could be wrong, but, but it seems to me in the other Gospels, and in Paul's writings, I know, for example, in Paul's writing, Paul never says Jesus raises himself from the dead. It's always the Father raises Jesus from the dead in Paul's epistles. John, Jesus says, I give my, I'll take it up again. Destroy this temple in three days, what? I will raise it up again. So, so in the Gospel of John, Jesus is, is fully God, and he does things as God. Because only God can give life again, and so he, he will willingly, and, and, and you read the, the, the crucifixion account, Jesus is in complete control of his own crucifixion. It's, it's utterly amazing when you, you read the Gospel account of John, and John, it, it just blows your mind that the crucifixion and then he he comes to life again as he promises right so so he is true god and true man okay um and so he is and he he becomes flesh to, in order to be the sacrifice for sin because flesh must be offered upon the altar of god right 
Okay, so without him being in the flesh, he cannot be priest and sacrifice. Okay, so dwelt among us is tented. So, so he tented among us, and this now leads us to going back to the book of, of Exodus and the giving of, of, of God's Torah to his people and that they lived in tents and then the building of the tabernacle. So where was God's presence? He was in the tabernacle, right? So when Moses builds the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. So now the glory of the Lord is filling this, the, incarnate, the incarnate one. Okay, now, um, word about glory. Okay, in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John does not have the transfiguration. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus says, glorify thou me, okay, he's speaking about the cross. The glory of Christ in the Gospel of John is the cross. Now is the hour for the Son to be glorified. This is as, he, as he's going to go to Gethsemane, right? The great high priestly prayer of John 17, 1. So the glory of God is the, the ultimate sacrifice for sins of Christ on the cross. This is the glory of Christ in the Gospel of, of, of John. Okay, so, so by the way, John the Baptist is always proclaimed the incarnate one, true God and true man, who's greater than, than him. Okay, the fullness, I, I just had to do this for you guys. I just went to Colossians chapter 1. Um, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, with the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Okay and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Wow. So I just had to, had to do this because it's the same word for fullness from 119 and, and in um, this, um, this right, right here. So, so now you see the, the law, is, and, and the word for law right here is, is noma. So, so, so Moses, without the promise of the Christ, just condemns, right? But, but now, so Moses is always incomplete without the fullness in Jesus Christ. And so, so there's that contrast between, between Sinai and, 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 and Jesus Christ. And it's taken up, for example, uh, wonderfully in, in Hebrews chapter 12, 18 through, through 24. Okay. Um, and so, so verse 18. Oh, man, you got to hold your breath here. No one has ever seen God, so have you the Father... Now, now look at the next though. The only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. And now you have this word God applied to the Son. And, and to know the Father is that you have to know that the Son is revealing the Father to you. You cannot, and this is why in John 14, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So it's always through the Son, Jesus Christ. And by the way, I, I, I omitted it. Verse 17 is the first time in the gospel that you hear these words, Jesus Christ. Right? Okay. And so now, as he introduces, we, we, we will now see in the following text, we have 19 and following, the ministry of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh for you and for me. And, and this all leads to John 20, 31, that all these things are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God, and that by believing, and that by believing you might have what life in His name. And so it's this wonderful text right here. Okay, I have a couple of minutes to answer questions or talk more. I mean, so so I I, I know this is a. Um, do you feel like this has been like, oh man, this is so much? You feel that way? Yes. It, 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 yes. It, but I hope I haven't burned you too much, but rather opened up to you a little bit of, of this great gospel message that John is introducing, this tremendous prologue. And re- really, it's one, of the, it, it's one of the key passages in all of Scripture. And, but it builds upon the Old Testament. You cannot understand this without understanding the Old Testament. Go ahead, Keith. Yes. So, I'm sorry. Six, seven, and eight. There's a lot going on in there, and I'm really confused. Yeah, yeah. First is John talking in the third person, like he's setting. No, no, no. This is John the Baptist right here. Oh. It's John the Baptist. So, so John, John never names himself other than 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 when just name the disciples, you know. So then he so, came as a witness. It's John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So this is the ministry of John the Baptist. And so John would typically, when he's talking about himself, we talk about himself as the beloved disciple, right? We talk later on, especially, you know, who's, who's by the side of Jesus at the Last Supper. And also, you know, Peter says, well, what about this guy, you know? And, you know, what's going to happen to him? And so that's, that's there in the... Well, then why isn't, in verse 7, why isn't him at the end of the verse capitalized referring to Christ? Or... Okay, this is... Okay. So what's the, 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 the editorial committee now, most Bible translations, has decided not to capitalize pronouns referring to, to God. Now, um, I disagree with that. Whenever I write, I, I try to capitalize pronouns referring to God. Now, there are a couple instances in, in Scripture, and I, none comes to my mind immediately, but I can remember seeing where, where the, the, the antecedent for the pronoun is that Jesus or, or somebody else or, or God or somebody else, and I, I can't remember. And so, and so by capitalizing, you give away that, you know, almost your opinion where it's a little bit ambivalent. However, I, I just like capitalizing pronouns referring to God. Um, it elevates the language, I think, when you capitalize. So that's what's going on right there. Yes, Dennis. Yes. Is the ESV going to keep changing? I mean, the guys over there. ESV has said that they aren't going to do any more additions. They said so, that a couple of years ago. Yeah, and so it's kind of, I, the ESV is a good translation, okay? I, I, I like the ESV. It's certainly a vast improvement over the NIV, but there are a couple passages that, that, that I, I, I think you could have translated the words a little bit better. And, and one in particular, I, I don't want to go into it, but I, I think, and this is not to say that Schumacher, I mean, no, 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 no. No, the guys doing this, they're they far better. You know, my, my knowledge of Greek and Hebrew is not nearly as good as the translation committee. Those are on the committee. However, my, there are times when, when I do, I look at the Greek or look at the Hebrew and say, it's, it doesn't carry the full force of what I want to see as, as a translation. So, I mean, and, and I'll give you a little example of, of uh, today's um, gospel lesson. If you look in the ESV, it translates Emmanuel, I am M. Matthew chapter 1. No, Matthew chapter 1 in the Greek is E M. Do you ever see? Like the hymn is O come, O come, Emmanuel with an E, right? Where is that from? That's from Matthew chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 7 is Emmanuel with an I. And so the ESV, for some reason, they want to be consistent with Old and New Testament, not, quote unquote, not confused. No, no, no. 
No, just go with a different spelling. You know, just that, that's fine. You could, you know, people can understand. You got a Manual Lutheran Church with an E. You got a Manual Lutheran Church with an I. And, and so now, if you just use the ESV, you say, "Where's this E coming from?" Somebody's crazy. So, 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 so. But that, that's a relatively minor compared to some of the other, uh, a couple, a couple of the other verses. Of course, it's always difficult. I always remember in the in the NIV, um, in uh, in the Book of Ephesians, they they had one Greek sentence. They not only broke them into English sentences, but actually two different sections where they give these artificial headlines right there and said, no, you can't break up one sentence into two sections. You can't do that. So it's a, that was just that was one, one of the things in the book of Ephesians that they did that. So, Okay, um, John 1 is a powerful chapter. Um, this gospel lesson for Christmas Day, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So I hope you have a, a better sense of who this word made flesh is. Uh, no Bible class next week. On January 1st, uh, I'll continue. We originally, it was Pastor Barnes was supposed to teach, but now, now uh, one of the local pastors is, uh, is wanting a little vacation time, so Pastor Barnes will be preaching. Uh, Jamie, do you remember where he's preaching at? Somewhere over there. So, somewhere east of us, east of us, the countryside or something like that. So, so I will be teaching on the 1st, and um, I'll tell you something about Jesus. How's that sound? Okay, okay. God bless your day. Thank you.